Good morning, family. Good to see all of you here this morning. Good to see our visitors as well. If you haven't had a chance to fill out one of those cards that's on the back of the pew in front of you, I encourage you to do so. It's always good to be here on a Sunday morning, isn't it? Man, it's just nice to see all the smiling faces, even when they're not smiling at me. And to know that we're, we're bound together by the blood of Christ and we have that commonality as we live together. I want to remind everyone that life groups are meeting today. Uh, if you don't know exactly when or where, get with your life group leader and they can tell you all about it as we go through that. Also, this Tuesday is study with the elders. And I think Chris Franks is in charge of that one. Yep, he's giving me the thumbs up, so looking forward to that. If you have not... RSVP'd with me on the cookout on the 16th. I would appreciate that. Uh, We're providing the meat. You provide the buns. I can't say it right in public, so I just don't say it anymore. Also, 23rd, Firearm Fellowship out at Joey and Diana's from 8 to noon. Uh, 8 to 10 is going to be pistol. 10 to noon is going to be rifle. Encourage anybody that wants to attend to attend. Uh, If you are going to attend, we also think that you should bring a chair for you to sit in while you're waiting if you don't want to stand the whole time, and also hearing protection if you don't want to end up like the preacher. Deaf. Huh? Anyway, looking forward to seeing all you guys there. And Trunk or Treat sign up is in the back still, right, Nick? Uh, put your name down on that. More information to come uh, as we get a little bit closer to all of that. We find ourselves in Mark chapter 15 this morning. If you want to turn your Bibles over to that chapter, I'd like to start off this morning by just talking about some base, basic instinct or base instincts that every person who has ever walked this planet has. And one of the most basic base instincts that everyone has is self-preservation. All right? Now, whether you think about this or not, you do actually care about yourself. That's why you flinch when something's flying at your face, all right? Whether it's a bug or whatever, you want to make sure that your health and welfare is preserved. So you're going to take actually drastic measures to ensure that you are protected from everything else. So uh, I thought about having one of the kids come up and tripping them so we could watch them fall and how they fall, but I didn't think that would be nice. Little J. Will's like, I'll do it. (laughs) No, no. But think about this. How many of us have ever fallen? Okay, how many of us have put our hands out to stop ourselves from falling? And and usually in an act of self-preservation, we end up hurting ourselves worse than what we would have done if we had just gone timber and fallen on our face. But you understand what I'm talking about. No one likes to get hurt. No one wants to have any severe damage done to themselves. You're going to do whatever it takes to make sure that you come out of this thing all right. So is it logical, knowing that, knowing that about ourselves, is it logical then to think about that in terms of the cross? And when you got those people standing at the foot of the cross, like you see in Matthew chapter 15, look at verse 29. It says, those passing by were hurling insults and abuse at him. Wagging their heads and saying, you who are going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Save yourself and come down from the cross. 
In the same way, the chief priests also, along with the scribes, were mocking him among themselves, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. Let this Christ, the King of Israel, now come down from the cross so that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him were also insulting him. Have you noticed the conclusion that these people have come to with Jesus? He, they, they say it point blank. He saved others, but he can't even save himself. Now, do we really honestly believe that as Jesus was hanging on that cross, he, he wanted to be there? And that he just stayed there because, you know, he has no act of, he has no base instinct of self-preservation whatsoever? Could Jesus, could Jesus have saved himself? Do we ever stop to ask that question when he's on the cross? Could he, as they were accusing him, come down off that cross and just start slapping people? Could he have done that? Did Jesus have self-preservation? First, I think we need to understand this because first and foremost, he could have chosen to not go into Jerusalem, right? We talked about that. He could have chosen to stay away from Jerusalem. He knew when he went into that city, he was going to be killed. Or you look at John chapter 18 and it says there, so Jesus, knowing all the things that were coming upon him, went forth and said to them, whom do you seek? Does this sound familiar? He's in the garden. They answered him, Jesus the Nazarene. He said to them, I'm he. Judas also, who was betraying him, was standing with them. So when he said, this blew my mind the first time I actually noticed this. So when he said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. They couldn't even stand before him when he acknowledged who he was. He could have escaped then. He could have saved himself during his time with Pilate. Look at the four... Verses 4 and 5 in Mark 15. Pilate questioned him again, saying, Do you not answer? See how many charges they bring against you? Jesus made no further answer. Pilate's amazed that Jesus just remained silent through all of this. And let's understand something. I am convinced that Pilate knows this entire judiciary process is a farce. He knows it's all about jealousy. He knows it has nothing to do with lawbreaking and everything to do with the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sanhedrin not being as popular as they wanted to be. He knew it was fake. And he knew, I think, Pilate knew that the minute that Jesus, if Jesus would just open his mouth and answer the accusations, he could release him. But he didn't. And I think that's why Pilate is so amazed at Jesus' silence through all of this. He could have saved himself multiple times before he went to the cross. But he chose not to. And so we have to ask the question, why not? Why didn't he choose to save himself in all of this? You know, and the easy answer is, well, God said that that was what it was supposed to be. And that, you're right, that's the easy answer. But if we're actually meant to be following Jesus, if Mark is actually showing us the trail that Jesus is blazing for us, what's the lesson we're supposed to be taking from all of this? That we've we've got Jesus here who could have saved himself but chooses not to. And what are we supposed to learn from this? What footsteps are out there that we're supposed to be following in? Why does Jesus have to die? Because I think this is a question that needs to be addressed. 
Why couldn't he have just wished God's purpose into existence? Is God not powerful enough to allow that to happen? I think he is. I think God is powerful enough that if Jesus had just wished God's purpose to be, come into existence, it would have happened. But it was not in line with what God was wanting, so we have to get into the why God needed this, why God wanted this, and not only that, why we needed it. And why we, whether we admit it or not, want it. Okay, and what Jesus is showing us in his death. You know, there's this thing called karma. You guys ever heard of that? This is the most basic explanation I could come up with, right? It's the idea that every bad deed throws life out of balance, okay? Uh, And so you imagine it like scales. Think of it like scales, the picture that we had at the beginning. Uh, And let's say that the bad is weighing down this side of the scales, and so the good side is up here. So what do we need to do? What do we need to do, kids, to balance out the scales? If this is all the bad, what do I need to do to balance out the scales? I got, I got to put some good over here, right? Okay, so I'm, I'm, I put a little good, I put a little good, I put a little good, and I start balancing out the scales. And if I can keep this balance, if I can keep the right amount of good, and maybe it's a big good so I can do one big thing and that kind of balances out, but here's the problem with this. How many of us have actually lived life? Okay, none of you, uh, Ben and one other person, okay. That's all right, the rest of you guys, I know you lived life, you just weren't expecting the question. For those of us that have actually lived life and have experience in life, if we're working on doing good, what ends up happening in the interim? Bad is always happening. And so we find ourselves in a constant chase of trying to balance out scales of what we're doing in this life, hoping that we can get a balance to life. But here's the problem. The bad, is the bad ever removed in that scenario? No, it's, it's still there. We still carry around the constant reminder of it. And here's the real kicker. How do you know if you've done enough to outweigh the bad? You would live a life of constant questioning and doubt, not knowing if you had done enough good things to get rid of those negative things. Do you guys know what that is? It's self-preservation. Mankind's viewpoint of eternal self-preservation. That's all it is. Because who's in control? This guy. But when it comes to eternal self-preservation, what we see happening here is that we're being shown that we are completely inadequate to the task. We can't do it. There's no way that we will ever accomplish what we know we need to accomplish because the sin is never removed and we can't hide it. And we're helpless in this regard. And God knows this. That's why Paul will say in Romans chapter 5, he says, while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. And because of his great love toward us, while we were sinners, Christ dies. And you'll say a couple of verses down from that verse that God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were sinners, Christ dies for us. See, sin, 
Sin damages things. Sin's only purpose is to bring damage and destruction. Oh, I know that while we're in the moment of sin, we, we think that it's producing joy and ecstasy and everything else that we're experiencing while we're in the moment of sin. But we do understand that sin is only joyful in that moment, right? It's never joyful in the future and it's never joyful in the past. That actually what we see happening in the future and in the past is sin's ultimate purpose, which is destruction. It, it destroys relationships. It destroys human relationships, but more importantly, it destroys our relationship with God. It, it takes it to a point that it, you just don't even see the, what God is wanting for what it actually is. All right, think of it this way. Uh, Judas. Oh, I went too far. We'll go back to the broken screen. Judas for a second, right? And we've talked about this. Judas is given power to cast out demons, to heal. He's one of the 12. But he ends up betraying Jesus. And in the process of that betrayal, he recognizes what's happened. He goes back and tries to return that money back to those that he had received it from. Why all of a sudden did Judas feel guilty? Because while he was living in the moment of sin, he could not experience what God was actually wanting him to experience through all of that. And it's not until that sin bubble is busted or popped that he can see the reality of the world and recognize his sin and recognize how absolutely destroyed he had, this has done to all of these relationships. So he goes back and he tries to fix it according to the law, and he's told... See to that yourself. And Judas experiences what every human experiences when they come face to face with what sin has done in relationships. And they realize, I can't fix it by myself. So Paul will write in Romans chapter 5 and verse 10, he'll say, If while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God. Enemies. Pay attention to that word. Sin destroyed the relationship between humanity and God to the point that we were enemies. And while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. God changes the nature of the relationship through the death of Jesus. And he completely balances the scale, not by adding Jesus' death to the good side to start outweighing the bad, but by a complete removal of the sin from the equation. It's not even there. And that's why he didn't save himself. Because without his death, there is no reconciliation. Without his death, there is no redemption. And even if we only looked at it from this, from this, view, this viewpoint, excuse me, without Jesus dying, think of it this way, all of those friendships he made in that 30 years he was walking this earth, all those friends, there's no redemption for them. There's no reconciliation for them. Peter, James, John, Doomed. Hunter, Zach, Robin, 
Lewis, we're doomed without it. Because we cannot participate in the opportunity until he has died. And that becomes the beginning of the path that he's laying out for us here. Our scripture reading was from Mark chapter 8. Let's go back and look at it again. Mark chapter 8, starting in verse 34, Mark writes, And he summoned the crowd with his disciples, and he said to them, If anyone wishes to come after me, and we've talked about this already, but just pay attention one more time. He summoned the crowd and said to them, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Real quick, understand, take up his cross, I'm convinced, is a modern-day idiom, and it means only one thing. When you live in a Roman society and someone says, Take up your cross... It only means one thing, death. It's the only thing it means, okay? If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with the angels. In Romans chapter 6, 1 through 7. What shall we say then? Before, let's, let's take a pause before we get into Romans 6 real quick. I want us to pay attention to something here in Mark 8 real quick. You know, you read the stories, and people have written stories about, oh, I would sell my soul for X, Right? And it's usually something small and insignificant, okay? I'd sell my soul for a donut. That's how silly it becomes, right? Look at the question that Jesus is asking here again. I don't, what does it profit the man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? What will a man give in exchange for his soul? The answer is everything. Everything. You give it all up. Okay? So we do that. We, we acknowledge the truth that without Jesus' death, there's no reconciliation. We acknowledge the fact that we have to die, and that's the path Jesus is, following, is leading us on, and we're following, okay? And we're going to have to die so that sin is removed from the equation. We're redeemed. We're right, the re- relationship is fixed from all of the damage and destruction that we wrought, God takes care of all of that. And then Paul says in Romans 6, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? See, and this is stinking thinking here, right? Because if I know that because of grace my sin was removed, well, how many of us want more grace? That sounds fantastic, right? I want more grace. Well, the easiest way to get more grace, more sin. That's, that's a human mindset, isn't it? Because remember, we're all trying to work on that self-preservation thing and balance things out. He says, so what do we say then? What do we, what do we say? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? No. And never be. No. How shall we who died to sin still live in it. 
Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Oh, that's what this whole crucifixion thing was about. Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death. So that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him. We took up our cross. It was put to death. Did we have to? Guys? Did we have to? No. We didn't. But we wanted reconciliation. We wanted salvation. We wanted redemption. We wanted all of the things that the Father is offering through the death of Jesus. So we chose it. We chose to take up our cross. We chose death. We chose burial. And we, cho- well, and we were raised. He says, Our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. And if you don't have this underlined in your Bible and highlighted and written across your frontal lobe, you should. For he who has died is free from sin. And I think the biggest thing that Jesus is teaching us through all of this, and Paul expounds on it, as we look at what Jesus is actually doing here in this crucifixion scene, in his death, in his burial, and let's not forget his resurrection. We can't follow Jesus and save ourselves. I'm going to say it again for those in the back. We can't follow Jesus and save ourselves. That is incompatible with what is happening on the cross. That is incompatible with his burial, and it is incompatible with his resurrection. And I know we're thinking, Jeremy, But death, it's such a big deal. You're right. It is. It's meant to be. Like we talked about in our class around Abraham this morning, it's meant to be a sudden shift and change in the way that we're living and the way that we're doing things. Everything changes when you die and you are recreated in God's image and the image that he wants for you. And this will be, we'll deal with this more next week, but understand, death... That's just the beginning of one of the greatest decisions. Of, no, not one of the, of the greatest decision a person can ever make on this earth. But you got to die. And you got to die daily. And if you're like me, sometimes you got to die every 30 seconds.
because of the challenges and difficulties and, and situations you find yourself in on a daily basis, that you make that choice every time. Because you can't follow Jesus and save yourself. George has a song for us that he's going to lead, and we're going to stand as we sing that song. For those of us that are following Jesus, isn't it great to be a Christian? Isn't it great to have the life that he has bestowed upon us and granted to us so freely and graciously? This is the life we live. This is the master we follow. And we follow him not because he's dead. We follow him because he's alive. And he has made us alive together with him. And that brings us joy. But it doesn't mean that it's going to be easy and that there won't be challenges. And if you find yourself challenged right now and struggling, man, you got your whole brothers and sisters here to help and encourage and pray for you. You're and or if you're ready to die this morning and join those who have, this is your chance. This is the opportunity right now that God provides. Make the confession of Jesus as Lord and Master. Be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. Be raised new, washed, and clean. Whatever we can do for you this morning, we encourage you. Make it known by coming forward. George.